Ladies and gentlemen, this evening's performance of The Diz Explorers will begin in two minutes. Excellent listening locations are still available all around Showcase Promenade. Due to the use of alcohol and opinions around the lagoon, for your safety, we request that you remain on the promenade side of all railings. During the show, please watch your step and take small children firmly by the hand. Once again, this evening's performance of The Diz Explorers will begin in just two minutes. Thank you. Uh, it's been a long time since we've done a movie-sode, so I thought this would be a good time to hopefully entertain you for a couple of minutes while you're quarantined or social distancing or just hanging out at home probably this week. Um, in case you don't remember our movie-sode series, this is where we talk about a forgotten Disney movie, an overlooked Disney movie, any of those that you don't really see merch for or see in the parks or, or things like that. So uh, this week I'm going to kind of do a double because I'm going to talk about Fantasia and its sequel, Fantasia 2000. So the first Fantasia film was released in 1940, the same year as Pinocchio. And it's really amazing for me to think about how just wildly different these two films are, even though the same studio released them in the same year. I mean, one is a perfect example of exactly what we know and love. It's a classic fairy tale that Disney reimagined and brought to life with original music and styling and all that kind of stuff. And the other is basically the opposite. Instead of being a fairy tale brought to life with music, it's music imagined into a story. So Fantasia is 100%, 1000% driven by its music. Most of the music is a classic famous composition that you've probably heard before that was not composed by Disney, but they created their own story based off of it. And Fantasia is not the first Disney short that would do this in, in animation. That started with the Silly Symphony series, which was in the 1920s. Um, but this was the first time that Disney would use this concept for a feature-length film instead of just a one-off short. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, so let me go back and talk about where this came from, because it didn't originate as a full-length feature. Actually, Fantasia originated as a really short, less ambitious, just classic animated short, which was not uncommon for Disney Studios in the early years. This was in the mid-30s, uh, and Walt Disney wanted Mickey Mouse to kind of come back to the center of attention. Steamboat Willie had dissipated a bit, and projects like Snow White were coming up, so I think Walt wanted his original signing star, bleh, shining star, excuse me, Mickey, to come back into the forefront. So he decided to cast Mickey as the star of a short based on an 18th century poem called The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Um, and as luck would have it, Walt coincidentally met a conductor named Leopold Stokowski, um, who was dining in a restaurant in L.A., and he happened to be there. Um, and Walt got to talking and describing this new project that he had. And Stokowski thought it was so interesting that he agreed to conduct the music for the scene, which would be um, an orchestral piece by a composer named Paul Dukas. And this was a project that would go on for a couple of years. 
Unfortunately, production costs quickly exploded, uh, and Roy Disney was worried that the studio would just never make back what it was spending on an animated short. I mean, realistically, how much revenue is an animated short going to draw in? But Walt didn't want to shutter the project and, of course, never short on ideas. He decided to build a new concept, which would be um, a feature-length film made out of different vignettes that are kind of stitched together to make one movie, but they're little individual stories. And then The Sorcerer's Apprentice would just be one of those. So the process of choosing the songs and the scenes that were in Fantasia, I almost said Fantasmic, (laughs) um, was super long and complicated and messy, and it's it's way too much for me to talk about in this format. Um, But if you're interested in learning more about how they chose the songs that they use, I highly recommend just reading about Fantasia online. I mean, the list of of scenes they considered and then scrapped is longer than the final list. And it is super interesting, but it's just a lot to talk about. So what I'll say is that the scene selection was a little bit controversial at times. Um, Disney's primary concern was that classic music fans would hate the studio for its interpretation because these were existing songs, some of them very old and they were deciding what the story was that that song was telling. And they were worried, obviously, that fans of this music would totally reject that. Um, and then the other concerns were things like too much religious imagery in some sequences or just inaccurate depictions of wildlife. And they were they were kind of they were trying to balance the line of symbolic and imagery versus realism and more direct storytelling. Um, so, like I said, it's it's worth reading about if that's something that interests you, but it, it is pretty dense and, and very complicated. So, um, But in the end, uh, Disney settled on seven major sequences, one, of course, being the uh, Sorcerer Mickey, um, Sorcerer's Apprentice scene that I'm sure everybody that's a Disney fan knows. Um, and it's also worth noting that this format was not the only experimental thing about Fantasia. Uh, the film also used a new concept of multiple audio channels to record the sound because previously there were complaints that a lot of sound recordings for animation were too tinny and thin and they wanted a dynamic and acoustic sound. And the idea was it really sounded like you were listening to a full orchestra instead of just a recording. Um, and then the development of this new multiple audio channels and new sound system eventually was called Fantasound which was this totally new surround sound system that just changed uh, audio recording in the film industry and current processes that are used today, like multi-record recording, dubbing, noise reduction, all of those kinds of things can be attributed to the original Fantasound system. So they get through all of these new technologies, they get through all the storyboarding, recording and animating, and finally Fantasia hits theater. So how does it do? Fantasia was a hit. It broke attendance records and had long runs in cities all over the U.S., uh, but unfortunately its run was cut short when the, the Fantasound systems were dismantled for war material in 1941. And the other problem was its budget was so huge that despite doing well at the box office, it's, it didn't turn a profit. And that is until it had gone through several re-releases in the 40s, in the 50s, and even in the 60s. And it was in the late 60s that it finally started to turn a profit. 
And part of the reason that the film did particularly well in the 60s, which I think is pretty funny, is a lot of audiences thought that the film was a psychedelic and trippy experience. So it was pretty current with the times. <laughs> um, but even though the film was a hit and was praised by critics, like most media, its power just faded over time. By the Disney Renaissance, as it's known in the 90s, when movies like The Little Mermaid and Aladdin and The Lion King are just, it's hit after hit after hit every year. Um, audiences really didn't hold on to Fantasia in their memories the same way that they did um, other fairy tales like Snow White or, or Peter Pan. And maybe it's because Fantasia wasn't a fairy tale and that was the direction that Disney was moving. Maybe it was as simple as it didn't have a singular narrative, and that's not what audiences wanted. I mean, the, the reason varies, honestly, depending on who you ask. But it was during this Disney Renaissance period that Roy Disney saw a chance basically for lightning to strike twice. And his whole thought was, you know, Disney Animation's dominating the cinema again. We have a new audience. We have a proven track record. Why not introduce a Fantasia concept to this new audience that we've built and maybe have better success that's not inhibited by a war like the first movie. So this sequel had a couple of different names. It was, I think, Fantasia 97 and 99 until it was finally Fantasia 2000, named for its release year. And the sequel followed the whole theme of innovation set by the first film. Um, it was the first full-length feature animation to be released in IMAX, and it also featured the studio's first sequences created 100% by CGI. Previously, backgrounds and some scenery had done CGI, but you know, main center characters had never been fully CGI before, so to have a sequence completely CGI was just revolutionary at the time. And Fantasia 2000 was also released to largely positive reviews like the first one, but it pretty much just made back its budget. It wasn't really considered a box office success, and it just wasn't as culturally exciting as the first. It really didn't drum up that enthusiasm the way that the original Fantasia did, and that didn't even have staying power. So, of course, Fantasia 2000 really didn't have the kind of staying power that you'd expect for other Disney movies of that time period. So this brings me to the question that we ask with most of these movie sodes, why are these films forgotten? Why are they not like Pinocchio, which was released in the same year, or or Alice in Wonderland? Those movies are still loved by younger audiences as much as older audiences. So why don't these Fantasia movies have staying power? And like I said, there's there's no single answer to this, of course. But in researching this and thinking about it, I just think that it can be summed up with three main factors. And the first is that these films have no central story, of course, right? That's the design. They're a series of, of vignettes stitched together. But that makes it hard to describe what they're about. In fact, sometimes it's even hard to remember all of the sequences. I adored Fantasia when I was a kid, and I still had to think back to make sure I could count that there were seven when I was thinking about what to say in this episode. I mean, it's not as blatantly obvious, right? And if you think about the Disney movies in particular that you love, you can summarize or recall the plot really, really fast. If someone says to you, what's that movie about? You can say, oh, it's da 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 And you can probably remember your favorite scene or the big moments and how they connect with the bigger story. And when you can't really remember what happened, how are you going to remember the movie? I mean, that's a big thing. 
And second, and on a similar note, there's no central core cast of characters, right? Every vignette has a completely different ensemble that doesn't really have anything to do with the previous or the subsequent. Uh, I don't know if, if sketch is a bit of a light word to use, but it's like a, a mini, a short movie within a movie, right? Each one is its own separate entity. And if you think about the one character that you remember from the first Fantasia, it's definitely Sorcerer Mickey, right? We got to know him from the parks, from other movies. So he's a fully fleshed out character in our minds, which is why we remember him. He has a name. We know his personality. If that wasn't the case and it was a different new Sorcerer character the whole time, I don't know that that would stick out as much, right? Characters like the Toy Soldier or Mother Earth from some of the other sequences, when you see it, you go, oh, yeah, that's really cool. Or maybe you remember it a little bit, but it's not that same staying power as these other characters, right? They don't stay on the screen long enough for us to develop an attachment to their lives, to their struggles, to the adversity they overcome, to how they grow. They're just on the screen long enough to entertain us. And they really do, of course, don't get me wrong, but it's just not long enough to form that lasting connection because even characters that have bit parts that aren't on the screen for that long most of them quickly develop a personality so that you do remember them so that they stick out and when these characters have no dialogue of course because this is all just music and animation it's even harder to do that and finally i mean this is kind of a trivial point but it's one that i think we make on a lot of these movie sodes these films have no merch, almost no merchandise and almost no parks presence. And it sounds kind of dumb, but it really does make a difference, especially for younger audiences. Right. Because maybe someone that's my age or older would remember seeing Fantasia 2000 in theaters. But if there was some kind of I don't know if it would be in a theater in the park or some kind of presence or something, I could go with a younger person and, ex and they would see it and recognize it and have a connection to it. Versus if I'm at home with them and just show them the movie, they might not necessarily have the same attachment as then they go to the parks and it's real or something like that. Because that's kind of the beauty of the Disney parks, right? The stories that you love on the screen are alive. And it's an interesting question to think about. Would audiences still love Pinocchio and Peter Pan the way that they do if they had no ride or music playing in the parks or if you couldn't go to the Disney store and buy a stuffed Jiminy Cricket or a Tinkerbell? or have a costume for, you know, Wendy and Captain Hook? I mean, would would little kids care? I, I don't know. Nobody knows for sure, of course, but it just seems much more doubtful to me. So, I mean, even though Fantasia and Fantasia 2000 almost never rank in lists of fan favorite movies, I actually think they're worth rewatching, and I think they're really good, especially if you're an adult. Because when you're an adult and... You're not necessarily just watching to see what the characters are doing. You can really notice how animators used the music to impact the movements and the sequences. And you can really, really appreciate the worlds that these just creative geniuses created just by listening to a song. And they thought up this amazing little story. Um, I don't think Fantasia or Fantasia 2000 are like these lost gems and that, you know, it's an injustice that people don't care about them anymore because they served their purpose and they were very innovative at the time. But I think that audiences today expect more and have been given more by most animations. So they're not really 
necessarily made for the audiences of today, but they are genuinely creative. And because they were so innovative at the time, I think they deserve at least a little bit of respect because they really did usher in the new shiny Disney darlings that we all adore and love by paving the ground for them. So, I mean, that's that's my rant about Fantasia and Fantasia 2000. And I'd, I'd love to know how you feel because I don't really know too many people that think much about these films. So if you have strong opinions or anything, I'd love to hear them. Um, if you'd like to share your thoughts about Fantasia, Fantasia 2000, or any other forgotten Disney movie, you can find me along with the rest of the Diz Explorers at our website, DizExplorers.com. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the Diz Explorers. And if you go to our site, you can find links to our individual social media handles as well. So thank you so much for listening. I hope that I helped distract you from your quarantine for a little while. Stay healthy, try your best to stay sane, and just follow Rapunzel's example of staying busy and entertained at home. Um, And then I'll talk to you in the next episode. Thanks so much. 